Blog Talk Radio. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Talking in Circles. I am Clayton Caldwell here with my co-host, John Harlow. Another great episode of Talking in Circles coming your way right now. We'll discuss the Citizen Soldier 400 at Dover International Raceway. It was race three of the of round one of the Chase for the NASCAR Sprint Cup, which means four drivers were eliminated. We'll discuss that. As well as Truex's fourth win of the 2016 season. He had three wins his entire career prior to this season. Has come out and won four races this year. Has been one of the most dominant cars in the Cup Series this year. Has been remarkable to watch. Also, we'll discuss Charlotte, the Bank of America 500, coming up next week on Saturday night. Pending Hurricane Matthew, whether he uh, wants in the race or not, we'll wait and see on that. Um, we'll preview the, the next round of the chase, who we think is going to miss. Uh, what we think we're going to see at Charlotte and Kansas, because they're both mile-and-a-half tracks. They're very similar, so we'll discuss that. And, of course, you got that wild-card race, Talladega, Alabama, and uh, race three of this second round. It should be very interesting. Plus, NASCAR is considering they're open to rewarding the regular season champion. Uh, they're also talking about limiting a member on pit road for next season. And Tony Stewart has another another week, another couple of interesting comments from Tony Stewart here at Dover. But first off, let's discuss the racing. Let's discuss what happened on the racetrack. In a Citizen Soldier 400 at Dover, Martin Truex Jr. led 187 of the races, 400 laps. He beat Kyle Busch, Chase Elliott. Brad Kislowski and Matt Kenneth was your top five. That was Joey Logano, Jimmy Johnson had a really fast car. Just could never catch the brake to get up there. Um, Austin Dillon, Denny Hamlin, and Jeff Gordon rounded out your top ten. John Harlow, six cars on the lead lap at Dover. Uh, I like long green flag runs. I thought it was great to, to, to watch. I thought it was a lot of fun. Uh, long green flags runs are what I like to see. And congratulations, Martin Trex Jr. He went out and he smoked them again this weekend. Uh, that's par for the course at Dover whenever they do have a long green flag run segment because just because of the way the track's set up, the leader can just, once they get in clean air, they just check out. I mean, there's been many a time where you've seen less than 10 on the lead lap at Dover whenever there hasn't been a wreck fest, and it didn't seem like um, there was one of those self-cleaning wrecks that take out five, ten guys at a time. So, I mean, you had a lot of cars that were running well, they just couldn't catch a break, and Truex, Jimmy Johnson, Kyle Busch, they were all on a rail because every time you saw them in the lead, Johnson showed something to us this week that we haven't seen in a long time, the ability to lead. Now, granted, they mm-hmm. screwed up on pit road again, but Johnson showed an ability to lead he hasn't shown in weeks. Kyle Busch, same as always, runs well. Um, they lost a little bit of the handle, and once they did that, I mean, Truex checked out. And you win by nine seconds with six cars on the lead lap, and look at where they're going next. They're going to Charlotte. And if you remember the Coca-Cola 600, all we talked about was there were 39 cars racing for second place, and all Truex had to do was not take himself out or do anything stupid because he led almost the whole race and he led it in convincing fashion. That 78 team has something for everybody so far. Three races in, Truex looks like he's gold, but 
they haven't been this far before where they are looking. I mean, True X has always been the nice story. We're really rooting for Martin because he'd be a good story. They haven't been the front runners before. And being a front no, runner is a lot different than being the guy who's chasing the guy. You always look, I mean, everybody's rooting for the upset. They always look for the underdog. Truex isn't the underdog right now. He is going out and dominating, and we'll see how it goes going forward. I mean, if he repeats what he did at Charlotte, he's in round three with no problem. Yeah, and, and, and think about it this way. You know, if you remember at Kansas, he was the dominant car at Kansas earlier on in the year, too, and had a, a crazy situation where he had a lug nut get stuck in between the wheel and the and and the hub, and they had to come down on pit road and lost all the track position, never could gain, regain their track position, and finished 13th, I believe. But he was leading and dom- completely dominating that race uh, before that happened. So, and obviously, Talladega, you know, the Alabama 500 is the ultimate wild card because of the restrictor plates. But the next two races for Martin Truex Jr., sure, he is the favorite coming in. Um, but uh, what a year. I mean, this team is, you've gone out there, and Truex gets a lot of credit, and rightfully so. He deserves a lot of credit. A lot of credit also to that team and Cole Pern. Colburn's a guy who flies under the radar. You don't hear him talk much. But um, ever since he's gotten here, you know, you remember Martin Church Jr., this is his third year now at Furniture Row Racing. And uh, he was he struggled his first year with, with uh, Todd Barrier as a crew chief. They brought in Colburn last year. They did very well, made a chase. Then they moved to Toyota this year, and a lot of people thought they were going to struggle because this is their first year with Toyota. What are they doing? They had a fine year last year with Chevrolet, you know, um, they got to kind of understand the equipment a little bit. Even Barney Visser, the team owner, said, hey, I think we might struggle a little bit here, uh, or at least early on in the year, to, to kind of figure out what's going on with these race cars. They haven't struggled at all. And Kyle Busch commented before the chase how all the Toyota teams are chasing that 78 car. And listen, everybody's chasing that 78 car. They are the favorite right now. It's been a crazy year. I mean, if you told me before the year Mark Truex Jr. was going to be the favorite to win a championship – I would laugh at you just because of all the things I just I've just presented to you, but that's the case right now. This '78 team is on the rail, and everywhere we go, it just seems like this team has been phenomenal. Well, Kyle Busch spoke this week, and they were talking about Truex being like a de facto fifth team, and Kyle Busch said, "We learn a lot from that '78 team. If you think about it, it's something that Jimmy Johnson brought up a couple weeks ago with all the." farming out of parts and pieces and engines and chassis that Hendrick Motorsports does to Stuart Haas and everything else, they get all the same stuff that Joe Gibbs Racing has at Furniture Row. They come out with the truck, they take the chassis, they take the parts, they take the pieces, and then they go and engineer on top of what Joe Gibbs folks have done. So what they're doing out there in Denver, Colorado, where nobody else is seeing what's going on, is improving stuff that's really good because the other four Joe Gibbs cars, all four Joe Gibbs cars are right there. They're in the chase. They're competitive. Hamlet's struggling a little bit. Edwards is struggling a little bit. But Kenseth and Kyle Busch are running up front, and I think you will see a different Denny Hamlin because Dover is not a track built for him. But what they're doing out in Denver with Cole Pern and that team is phenomenal. Now, next year... Again, it's one of those things where if you go into the season saying, well, I think Martin Truex could be the person to win, they're expanding to two teams, mm-hmm. putting a new group in. And if you notice, most every time a team expands that first year, there's some sort of fallout with with the exception 
of Joe Gibbs Racing. When they've added the yeah, fourth team, they were all set. They had they've been planning that fourth team for five years, and the way they run their Xfinity program, they pretty much brought an Xfinity team up to Cup to run the Carl Edwards team, with the exception of the crew chief. Yeah, and yeah, they're gonna have a really good driver in Eric Jones next year, um, and they're gonna really team a team that's really set using JGR stuff, like you said. But hey, it, it we've seen RCR struggle when they went to four cars. So it's going to be interesting to see what they do next year for sure. 917-889-8280. If you want to join the conversation here on Talking in Circles, Clayton Caldwell and John Harlow, your hosts here tonight, uh, as we break down Dover and preview Charlotte. But, man, I'll tell you, Jimmy Johnson, he impre- they impressed me in that 48 team. This is a team that we've talked about at length over this whole year, how this Hendrick Motorsports team has not been nearly where they need to be to win a championship. Um, and the 48 teams come out here this, this week, th- this first round, and they've done well, and they really probably should have won Dover and had, every, had their luck on their way, but they didn't. But now you're going to another set of racetracks where we've seen Jimmy Johnson in this 48 team perform here. Uh, this used to be Jimmy Johnson's playground at Charlotte when it was sponsored by Lowe's, and he was sponsored by Lowe's. They've kind of backed off that a little bit, um, but it's still a very good racetrack for him. So is Kansas, and anybody can win a Talladega. Jimmy Johnson certainly can. So another uh, a good round for him coming up as well. But, you know, this 48 team, I don't think you can sleep on them just yet, John. No, you can't. And, um, again, on the team, shot themselves in the foot again. They had an issue on pit road, which they haven't had before. I mean, normally Dover is – I mean, nobody's more Dover than Johnson. He's always been great there. But they shot themselves on pit road. They've shot themselves on pit road more than you've ever seen a Chad Knauss team do. I think Johnson's team is showing that they're getting the speed. You look at the way Chase Elliott ran both at New Hampshire, Chicago, and Dover. He was in contention all three places. He's run well. There's more speed coming out of the Hendrick cars. And it's one of those things where you you might want to think that Chase was pointing his way in. Johnson had the two wins. They were saving their good stuff. For the chase, I mean, they probably weren't using their best cars. They were probably breaking out the new stuff as they were getting closer. And Johnson has showed speed now, and that's something that wasn't there all summer long. And one of the things you look, every year that Jimmy Johnson did win the championship, he'd get a lead and he'd coast through the summer and make sure he was in the 12 or 16, whatever it was, before they went to the elimination format. But Johnson's team was built for these 10 races. That's what they focused on. They wanted to make sure they all they had to do was get there, but once they got there, you didn't beat them in those ten races. And I see that starting to come around. The longer you leave Johnson in the game, there's a chance Chad Canales finds a way to get him going forward. Absolutely. And like we said, we've seen it before from this team. This team's been uh you know, six time champion and no matter what format you throw at them. So, uh, yeah, absolutely. I think they, they can definitely do it. And, um, you know, it, like we said, it was, a, it was a good round for Jimmy Johnson. It was a good round for Chase Elliott. Uh, but not such a good round for a couple of other drivers. And a, and a tough race at Dover for Kyle Larson and Kevin Harvick. Obviously, Harvick, uh, with his win at New Hampshire, could rely on that, which was huge for him because he had a really tough weekend, a really crazy incident where um, an axle broke on the rear end of his car, which is something you don't really see often at all, especially – somewhere at uh, a prestigious team like Stuart Haas Racing. So some bad luck there. 
Also, Kyle Larson had a, a array of problems all day long. Um, a tough first chase for Kyle Larson. His teammate, Gene McMurray, had engine problems. So some of the big-name drivers, John, really struggled this weekend at Dover. Um, and it cost – in Johnson and McMurray's chase, it cost them a chance to, to advance. I think Larson just got snake bit. How often do you have a battery die coming off of a pit stop? It doesn't happen very often. I mean, one of the they've been doing lately, these cars are all, all but bulletproof. Very rarely do you see an engine blow. And I think one of the things that they did with Jamie McMurray's car was because they were on the cutoff. They wanted to make sure that they, because last year they finished fourth at Dover and still missed the chase. They wanted to make sure that they had the horses that were necessary. There was a comment by Tony Stewart on the radio that the three-car was faster than he's been all year long. I think Childress brought as much horsepower and tuned the engines up as much as they could get everything they could out of it, and they just went across the line. I mean, I mean McMurray had used to get, I'm sorry, McMurray used to get engines from Childress, but now they're getting them from Hendrick. But it's just one of those things. They probably tuned it up as much as they could with the McMurray car and just crossed the line. Larson, you had a battery go down. Then whenever they were switching out the battery, one of the guys went over the wall before the tire carrier got back over the wall so they could make the adjustment on the battery, and they screwed up, put him a lap down, and he just couldn't recover from that, and he wound up blowing a tire and hitting the wall. It was just bad luck for the Ganassi team. And one of those things, you have to lose to win. And that was Larson's first shot in there. McMurray was in the chase last year. It was the first time Ganassi had both of his cars in the chase. They got knocked out in the first round. Next year, you'll want to see growth. I mean, you saw McMurray grow more this year. You saw Larson finally make the chase with a win. We'll see how they do next year. I think it was it was a rough day for Ganassi Racing. It was a rough day for Stewart because he got behind the eight ball and just didn't have enough. I mean, as he said, going in, we'll talk about it later, is if you don't unload Friday fast, you're pretty much hosed. And they said they were terrible in practice Saturday. They got it so much better, but it wasn't close enough. And Chris Buescher, thanks for coming. Enjoy your uh, 16th place finish. It's better than you ever thought you would have gotten. So congratulations for being there. And next year, who knows what's going to happen because Front Row Motorsports is a – mid-level funded team it's not one of your super mm-hmm. teams and it'll they'll have to back in like they did this year but it was great to see chris butcher grow i mean the chase gave him some exposure that he's not really had by being in front row motorsports it put a it put a light on it to say he's running pretty decent in not so good stuff and the other thing it showed was if roush fenway put their best stuff behind Chris Buescher to try to get him further in the chase. Roush Fenway is out to lunch. Yeah, they have a lot of work to do if that's what they did for sure. 917-889-8280 here if you want to join the conversation. I'm talking in circles and you know, you gave us a lot there and I'll tell you you know, I think it, it, for it's funny because these four drivers are all kind of come from different, uh, they're all a little bit different scenarios here. The drivers who were eliminated, Jim McMurray, Chris Buescher, Tony Stewart, and Kyle Larson. Larson, you mentioned his first chase, I thought that 42 team would take the momentum from the regular season. They, they did well. They won at Michigan. They had a great regular season. I thought they would take that, and it would sort of catapult them to at least uh, the middle of the second round, if not the, the, the final round. 
that didn't happen. You know, they had some bad luck there. And, and like you said, you know, you want to see growth from Larson. You did that. He won his first race. And I want to see how this team performs even in the next seven races here because you're out of the chase. You really got, quote, unquote, nothing to race for. But you're running for your pride. And I want to see if this team, through the adversity here, can sit there and go, you know what? This is pride. This is where we don't care. We want to run. We want to run as good as we possibly can. We want to win every race on the way out. And if they can do that and they can pull off a win uh, at one of these next seven races, I'll give them a lot of credit because it's hard to do when, when you're not running for a championship. It's kind of a gut check. Um, so I'd be interested to see how that 42 team runs. Like Murray again, you know, he kind of pulling his way in. He does it almost, it feels like he does this every year where he's very consistent, uh, runs about 15 to 10, you know, doesn't win a whole ton of races. Um, but he, he does, he does just good enough. And, uh, did that again this year, you know, he's starting to get to an age where you got to kind of start to wonder, um, where his future is going to be in the next three or four years. So that's something to keep an eye on as well. I agree. I think Chris Buescher was a guy who, it was great to see him in the chase. Uh, Pocono was, it was a huge, um, win for that team that got him in the chase. Uh, they ran really good at Bristol, you know, and, and they tried, I mean, they probably threw a lot at it. They tried to get a little bit clever, but, um, you know, they just, they're, they just, they are what they are. They're not going to improve like that overnight. And uh, they were fighting to just stay in the top 30 in points to make the chase and just to expect them to run with the top 15, top 10 teams in NASCAR, um, I think is very unfair. As far as Tony Stewart goes, obviously it's his final year. Um, he's going to retire at the end of the year. Everybody, it's well documented, but kind of a disappointing chase, I think, for him. I, I, you know, it uh, wasn't a very good uh, four races for him. He, he struggled this weekend badly. A 13th place run, you got to do better than that, especially when you know that is the race that is going to get you in. 23rd at Loudon, 16th at Chicago, and that's just not going to get it done. And, and that's kind of where Tony's been uh, most of the last three or four years there, around the 15th to, to 18th mark, it seems like. And they could never really rebound. Uh, even this lower downforce package, where we thought Stewart had a little bit more success. Yeah, you know, a second place at Loudon, he finished fifth at Pocono and Rockets, and one at Sonoma. But we haven't really seen the Tony Stewart of old return. And I don't think we're going to see that, you know, obviously in these final seven, because I think he's, he's got his eyes on his future and not in the next seven races in the Cup Series. Well, when it comes to Tony Stewart and the group that was knocked out of the chase, Tony Stewart didn't have the greatest chase in the world. And you could tell I was at the race in New Hampshire. And after the race, the media scrum, everybody raced pit road to try to get to the drivers and everything. And Tony just had that look of disgust on his face, went out the back, went through the truck garage to get to his motor home so he could change and avoided the media. And he did the same thing uh, Sunday at Dover. He said a couple things on the radio. He put his Twitter, he put a tweet out. But Tony, his comments, and I really am looking forward to when we get to that segment. His comments last week about the state of NASCAR really should give people pause. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, I think it's something that. Um, if you look back and what this sport's done over the past few years and how close these cars have become, yeah, I think it's something that we're going to touch on for sure. Uh, something that I think a lot of people would agree with, and it's something, well, it's a preview, I guess, toward the next section um, in in the show. Uh, also, just a real quick rundown, I want to give a, a shout-out to Stenhouse. You know, he finished 11th 
not a horrific day from that team. We haven't really seen Rash, like you said, perform very well. So 11th place run for them is not too bad. Jeff Gordon, his first top 10 substitute for Dale Earnhardt Jr. He's got one more race in his cup career left, and that's Martinsville. I'll be interested to see how he does in that 88 car there as well. But that will put a wrap on the Citizen Soldier 400 at Dover International Speedway. Um, like I said, it was Truex's seventh career win. He's just had an unbelievable year. Uh, and, you know, next weekend we have the Bank of America 500, John. It's a one-and-a-half-mile track. We start this next round with two really, I guess you can call cookie-cutter racetracks, style racetracks, with Charlotte and Kansas. Um, here we are at Charlotte. What do you expect to see? I mean, you know, we've seen Toyota really, really dominate on these mile-and-a-half tracks this season, um, and I don't think it's going to be any – I think it's going to be – I don't think it's going to be any different. I think we're going to see a lot of the same where you're going to see, you know, the, the Joe Gibbs Racing and, and Martin Truex Jr.'s furniture racing team up there competing for a win, and, and maybe Harvick – up there trying to uh, to help them out or trying to break that up a little bit. And same thing with Jimmy Johnson. But um, I think it's right now Toyota's – this next round really plays into Toyota's hands because on the mile-and-a-half tracks, they've been really, really good. They have been. Uh, the Toyotas have been nothing but lights out. But it does look like Chevy's found something for the chase, the Hendrick group, the Stuart Haas group. Harvick was fast the whole chase. If you remember, he started – Chicago at the back of the field for an unapproved adjustment. He started 19th at um, New Hampshire and drove his way through the field. You got to get to the front to win, and it wasn't like he did it on pit road. They want they made a spot or two here on pit road, but Harvick did his damage passing the cars. What that big long green flag run at New Hampshire to start the race? He started 19th, and he was up to sixth by the time they started green flag pit stops. So Harvick's been driving through the field. He's been passing cars. And one of the things that was really interesting, watching Harvick in practice throughout the series, these first three races, there's a preferred line. And Harvick doesn't practice in the preferred line. He practices somewhere else because I think he figures, if everybody's going to run this line, i got to find a different line to be able to pass people. So he gets mm-hmm. his car set up to run in a line that nobody else is really running on a regular basis so he can make passes and get himself to the front if he has a bad qualifying day. Or if somebody's pressuring him, he can run any line and be able to get around the track because if you're running a line that nobody else is running, able to work there, you're definitely going to be able to work in the preferred line. So that's one of the things when you look at Harvick and what they're doing. I think Johnson, you can't rule him out. The longer you let Johnson in the game, the longer, I mean, the better chance Johnson and Chad Canales have a find, a find a way to figure things out. And you look at the thing that's coming up. Saturday night they're racing at Charlotte if the hurricane doesn't beat them. The number one driver since 2012 in night races, Kevin Harvick. Wow. That was, that's surprising to me because just, you know, I, it shouldn't be because Harvick's pretty much consistent anywhere. And, and since he's gotten in this Stuart Haas four car, he's been, in my opinion, a top three, if not a top two driver in the Cup Series, maybe even the best driver in the Cup Series as far as consistency goes, where every week we go to the racetrack in the last three years, and Harvick seems to be a guy who's everybody's pointing their finger at going, he's got a chance to win today. Um, and, you know, he's done a great job there. And I think he's going to be another guy who is going to be a contender for the championship. And he's definitely somebody to keep an eye out on at Charlotte and Kansas. 
And, of course, Talladega, he's won at play tracks plenty of times before, won uh, Daytona 500, so he knows what he's doing out there on the plates as well. Um, like I said, we have Charlotte, Kansas, and Talladega, John, coming up. Who are your next four guys coming out of this chase? Uh, you know, we, we after Talladega, we shrink the field down from 12 to 8. Um, and to me, that's where you really start to get these re- – you're going to have a surprise where a really good team is going to be out of the chase because, you know, no disrespect to the four drivers who are out, but, you know, they didn't run very good. They, they kind of deserve to be out because you're sitting there going, well, you run 15, you really don't deserve to compete for a championship. But right now, with eight drivers, you're kind of sitting there going, well, okay, now you're eliminating these 10 guys, the drivers who might be running in the top 10 on a weekly basis but have one bad race. Um, so who do you got? That'll get eliminated this next round here before we move on. Uh, Austin Dillon's going to go. I mean, I was surprised he made it through this one, and if McMurray hadn't blown up or Larson hadn't played chicken with the wall or had that dead battery, Austin Dillon would be sitting there with everybody else. He was, uh, he kind of backed into it because he survived over, and I don't see them having the speed or the firepower in that team to be able to make it to the round of eight. I see one of the Penske drivers going away. I don't know which one, but somebody will get caught up in something at Talladega. So one of the Penske drivers get caught up. I think Carl Edwards goes away. I don't think they have, of the four Gibbs cars, I think they're the ones who have shown the least amount of consistency I think they're the ones that have had the least amount of speed of the four, and it just seems like Carl won't make it to the next round. So I have Dylan, Carl Edwards, one of the Penske drivers, which I'll I'll go with Logano because Keselowski's found his way to the front more than Logano has, so Logano has a better chance of being middle of the pack, being caught up in it. And I think Kurt Busch will go away in this round. Um the beginning of the year, they were a top five, top ten car all season, I mean, most of the regular season. But they've missed something lately. They haven't had the speed that they've had earlier in the year. And here you are going into the round with the two cookie-cutter tracks in Talladega, and you're searching for speed. That's when you're going to be in trouble. And I don't think Kurt Busch's team has the speed to make it to the round of eight. So the four that I see going out will be Logano, Kurt Busch, Carl Edwards and Austin Dillon. Uh, hey, those are great choices, and I agree with you about Kurt Busch. But I don't have him missing. I got you know Dillon, like you said, for uh, all the reasons. His rookie driver. I don't think RCR is really uh, at the level where they want to be to compete for a championship. I'm surprised they made it to this next round too. They did a great job at Dover. They had a really good long run car. Um, it'd be great to see if they can do that. Yeah, I think Kurt Busch, and uh, you mentioned him. Um, I have to look at my notes. I had to look at my notes there, but I, I do have Kurt Busch mission. Listen, you're right, John. It just seems they had a really good start to the year. They were, uh, I believe, they had what like a consecutive top ten streak. Of, uh, they were having a really consistent start to the year. They've lost that consistency, lost that speed. I don't see them advancing. Carl Edwards is another guy. I don't see him advancing. You know, he doesn't seem to have the speed um, as far as. We've seen in the past, and I got another driver here who might surprise people. It's Chase Elliott, rookie driver. That's probably why I'm not going to have him go advancing. He's done a very good job this year, but I just see uh, Hendrick Motorsports. You know, they're just not really where they need to be right now. And I think Chase has done a very, very good job this year. But uh, I just think the team maybe will hold him back a little bit. I don't think he's going to win the race 
this year because I just don't think he's got the equipment right now where Hendrick Motorsports is to pull off a victory uh, as of right now. But, hey, anything can happen in this chase. And like I said, you have to pick one driver who's really had a good year. You know, you mentioned McDonald. That's a very good choice as well because he's got one win this year. And this is a guy who had six wins in 2015 and four and five wins, excuse me, in 2014. Six wins in 2015, five wins in 2014. So he's coming off 11 wins in the last two years. He's only got one this year. Hasn't We haven't really seen him win, uh, run consistently. Haven't really seen him lead a lot of laps recently. Um, so that's a little bit of a concern if you're a fan of the 22 team. It just seems like they've, just, they've been decent. They haven't been great. Uh, and that's a, that's a very interesting pick by you, John. But I, I agree. I don't think that 22 team is where they need to be. But I think they make it towards the next round uh, in the final eight. Because a mile-and-a-half tracks, I think Penske's kind of been better on a mile-and-a-half track, a lot better than where Hendrick's been, is for sure. So uh, that's why I have Dylan, Chase Elliott, Kurt Busch, and Carl Edwards out of the chase. Okay, a couple other interesting news tidbits this week uh, here on Talking in Circles. And if you want to join the show, 917-889-8280. That is the call number to join the conversation, talk about anything you want. Dover, Charlotte. Uh, who you got making the ch- missing the chase, and these next couple of topics, which are very interesting. One is, John, uh, the first one I'm going to touch on is limiting dry- guys on pit road. NASCAR, and I've been told by a source, John, that this is definitely happening, um, but nothing uh, official is um, announced yet, but this is very close to happening, that NASCAR may reduce the pit crew members in 2017. Right now, there are six pit crew members that go over the wall, two tire carriers, two tire changers, a jack man, and a gas man. They're going to limit that to five, which a lot of people are thinking that they will limit a tire carrier. There used to be seven when we had the catch man, catch can man. Now that they're taking the catch can man out, there's six in NASCAR in 2017. Sounds like a move could happen soon for next season that they're going to limit from six to five over the wall. Uh, your thoughts on limiting a pit crewman uh, over the wall here in the Sprint Cup Series in 2017? If they do it, it'll last three races. Because somebody will, there'll be tires flying all over pit road because people are going to start throwing tires so the tire changer can reach back the one that's left over, or the jack man's going to have to grab the tire. It just, there's too much going on. I mean, right now, six, it's a synchronized, great thing watching a pit crew work is like watching magic in action i mean those guys are great together dropping one of the tire carriers now granted you could probably drop but it's going around to the far side who's going to carry the tire over whenever the is the guy going to carry the tire with the jack in, i mean with the jack in his hand or is the guy going to carry the tire with the pit gun i mean with the air gun in his hand Who's going to carry the tire? That's where the big headache's going to be. And somebody's going to lose a tire. It's going to go out in pit road. Somebody's going to hit the tire, and it's going to ruin somebody's day. And the driver's council and the owners, the RTA, are going to be screaming at NASCAR, what the heck were you thinking? So if they do something like this, I give it three races, and then we'll be back to six again. And everybody will be searching for the sixth go-over-the-wall guy again, and who knows what they're going to get. I think it's going to be a mess if they do something like this. Pit, pit road uh, I, should be something that is safe 
and I don't see safety playing into this. I see somebody thinking they're saving a few dollars here and there, but it, with the cost of these teams and how much these teams are budgeted, one over-the-wall pit guy is not going to make or break these teams. I think it's going to be a mess, well, I, and I think it's going to be terrible. I think these car owners asked for this. I really do. I think these car owners said, hey, if you can help us out on pit road and maybe limit a guy, I'm going to be interested in it, John. There's a lot to this. And here's my here's where I look at this. Uh, Chicago Land Speedway a couple of weeks ago, we're in the middle of a green flag run, long green flag run, and there was a tire that ran loose on pit road. Now, it went into the infield grass, if you remember correctly, and NASCAR threw a caution immediately. They didn't wait for the pit stops to cycle around. They didn't wait for any of that. They immediately threw a caution flag. And I was annoyed because, I, to me, that's not a big issue where, listen, why are we throwing a, a, a caution flag for a tire that's in the middle of uh, the infield? It doesn't make any sense to me. But it, it kind of... It really created a, a disastrous situation because there was it was in the middle of green flag stops. Some people had hit it, some people didn't. If you remember correctly, you had to take a wave around. You had to do all kinds of stuff to get back on lead lap if you had a really fast race car. Uh, Kevin Harvick got caught locked down, and Jimmy Johnson didn't. They had a big controversy because of that. And it was just a mess. And if they throw a caution flag for that, what's going to happen when you take a, take a tire carrier away? You're right. I, I just don't know how how this tire carrier. It's going to be able to tar- carry a tire. Now, will we see a um, a a tire changer carry a tire across the wall? Maybe. Maybe that's the thing. He'll carry the he'll carry the tire across the wall. It's not going to be a big issue when we see it on the left side because I think you're going to see somebody from the wall roll it to the car and it's just going to hit the, it's just going to roll into the car and I think that'll be okay. But I think the right side's a big issue because you have to go across the car. But teams will get creative, John. They really will. I think. Um, they're going to get creative. They're going to figure this out. I think by – I disagree with you. I think by the time we get to Martinsville, uh, the sixth race of the year, I think this will be a well-oiled machine. I think everything will be fine. But here's my problem. Why? If the owners ask you to do this, you know, to me, when will those owners stop? Because NASCAR has come out and said over the last few years, numerous times, we like the fact that this is a team sport. We like the fact that you go on pit road and your pit crew has to be very good. We like that fact. We don't want to be like any cars where you come in and you change four tires and you lift the car up on, a, on an air jack and you change four tires and gas it in 3.5 seconds. We don't want to be that. We want to have that technology to do that, but we don't want to institute that technology because we like the fact that we're in a team effort. Okay, but then why are you doing this? And when will the owner stop? The owners might sit there and go, well, you know, if you do it like any car, you have a lot less, less people to pay on pit road. So, to me, is when it will stop. And if they did this for an entertainment value, which I think had a little bit to do with this, I think NASCAR said, ooh, we might be, it might be a little bit more entertaining for people on pit road, there's a problem there because we need to make this product better, especially on long green flag runs. We need to make it better and better and better because if you have to sell pit stops being entertaining uh, as far as how the race goes, where that will put a wrench in somebody's day, um, we have major issues on a racetrack, and, and to me, that's where I have a problem with all this stuff here, uh, with, with with this pit crew thing. You know, am I wrong on that, John? Not a bit. There's a lot of, and this almost leads us into the Tony Stewart thing. I think this is NASCAR overreacting to 
And I don't think it's the big team saying, hey, cut a guy out to give us another, save us some, some money as we go down the thing. I think it's some of the smaller teams that's probably saying, hey, we're paying a boatload of money to rent these pit crews or something that, hey, help us out a little bit. I think it is not good for the sport that they are searching from all these different kinds of ways to spruce up the sport. The one thing they're not doing is looking at the product, the cars that are out there. And I think one of the coolest things I heard during this week was Jeff Burton on uh, NASCAR America. He was talking about Tony Stewart and not making the chase. And he said, Tony Stewart would have been the perfect driver in the 60s or the 80s when a driver could take a car and make it different. I mean, they could drive the car and make it better just because of the way the driver is in there. Now it is so engineered and so, I mean, if you want to cut somebody for the race, cut one of the engineers. Leave the pit crew going the way they are. But, I mean, they have so many engineers, and they're probably paying an arm and a leg for all these engineers to come and over-engineer the car. Why not worry about what you can do on the pits? We're all you can do with that. It just makes no sense what they're trying to do. I agree with that as far as the engineers go. Who's a caller here, John? Uh, what's your name? Where are you calling from? This is Lee in Virginia. Hi, Lee. What do you want to talk about tonight? Uh, you're going to chime in on your pit crews uh, talk here that you're talking about. I think you guys are right. You know, it's definitely going to be a, a different. Uh, I think. What NASCAR is going to try and sell this on is safety and the fact that it's going to be safer because there's going to be less people on pit road, but it can be more dangerous as well because they're not doing a job efficiently enough. Now, Clayton, I think you made a good point on the fact there that, you know, by Martinsville, they'll have this figured out and, and this will be a new point. My thing is, though, in the future, they've been talking about, and Kurt Busch has been advocating for this, a push button that automatically does the pit road speed for these cars going down pit road. Um, and, you know, I know a lot of drivers have been against that, but there's been some that have said, you know, if you're going, let's, let's, if this is a, such a safety issue and pit road speeding is really there because it's a safety issue, not any other reason other than the fact that members have gotten killed in the past. So they, they lowered the pit road speed. Well, then let's make it something that can't be broken where people can't speed. Um, I think some people want to see the, uh, the the strategy in the in the still on pit road where you know if you if you are able to keep your car under pit road speed you should be rewarded for that but I think you know do you guys see this maybe leading to that in the future where there's you know maybe a push button for the uh, for pit road speed down the down the line here in the future I, I listen I hope not I mean here's my thing with that is you're going to take away the uh, the talent as far as you know we see drivers all the time who you know, can get on and get off pit road better than another, um, you know, and to me, you're taking that away where, you know, when you press a button, will it automatically lower to uh, the pit road speed or will it, you know, um, slow it down, you know, at a, at a at a quick rate or how quick will it go, you know, and to me, when do they push the button? If you take away speed penalties all together, it, it creates, a, I think, an absolute mess. Um, but it does raise a decent point because you sit there and go, well, um, you have to be underneath pit road speed, and if we can do that naturally, why don't we do that? But we're doing it anyway by by having pit road speed. We're we're doing that anyway, so it's not like we don't have 
we don't do it that way now, and we have the technology, and we refuse to do it that way. But I don't know. I, I would hate that. I just think it would it would hurt the sport a lot. I think it would. Uh, it's an interesting topic for sure. I think it's something that again, you see some drivers. Jimmy Johnson may, might get off pit road better than than Derek Patrick. Uh, Bush might get off pit road better than Jimmy Johnson uh, on and off pit road quicker. So I, that, that's that would be awesome. To, that's awesome to see. I think that that's part of the skill in the sport. And I would hate to see that go, John. I think. I mean, we were joking about it at the media center at New Hampshire. What's next? The push to pass button that IndyCar has when you want to pass somebody, you push it. And you get eight pushes or something during the race. I mean, what's next? This is getting to the point where it's almost a circus. And it just seems like the people at NASCAR just can't let it play out naturally, make it to where the cars are, where the drivers make a difference. It's not getting that way. I mean, when you see that they're experimenting with pit road, let's put five in instead of six. No, I mean, yeah, more people over the wall. You have less chance of getting hit by a car, but you also have more of a chance of tires flying out or stuff still being, the gas can still being attached to the car when it takes off because the jack man's trying to play the gas man at the same time or the gas man's trying to get the tire to the tire changer. I mean, it just, and then you have the rolling the tire out. Unless I'm mistaken, the way it is now, it's an, if you're rolling the tire to somebody, it's an uncontrolled tire. And that right. should be a penalty. So where are they going to be able to pull this five-person pit crew pit stop off without, I mean, yeah, we had 17, 18-second pit stops back in the day, but it didn't change the race. How? I mean, mm-hmm. a half a second changes the race now. Back then, you just had cars where drivers could drive them and they could drive away from the field. Now it's so engineered, so regulated, that there's no, I mean, you could almost put anybody in any car and not know the difference. Take the Toyota, Chevy, and Ford off a lot of it, other than the engines, and it's the same car. Right. No, it's it's an interesting topic, Lee. I, I, I you know, I wouldn't want to see that. I know Kurt's probably an advocate for that, but there's a line to be drawn. I think there's some technology that doesn't need to be in play here. And again, if you do that with the push button speed, then you can sit there and go, where does this stop with? Uh, IndyCar, where we should see how IndyCars pick cars. So, and listen, listen, they've they've given a lot to this drivers' council and the owners' uh, union or whatever yeah. you want to call it. Because look, next year we're going to Talladega, and it's going to be the second round, our second race of this round, not the, not the elimination race, and that's due purely on the drivers and the owners who don't want to be put under pressure. And you know who loses out in all of that? The fans. The fans. I think it's exciting that mm-hmm. Talladega is a, is a race that. You know, I was talking to somebody earlier this week about it, where it's exciting that Talladega is, uh, you know, an elimination race, where, you, you know, you have to really push in these first two races to go get a win because you just don't know what's going to happen in Talladega. Next year, you're just going to see them sandbag Talladega like they have in the past, knowing that they can go out there and finish well. All they need to do is just finish well uh, at, at Kansas, which is going to be the elimination race, and they'll just sandbag Talladega the whole way and the fans lose out, and, and the competition of the sport loses out. And isn't that why we created this format to begin with? I mean, there's got to be a line with this driver's council and, and the and the RTA here with NASCAR, and they just seem like they're getting everything that they want right now. Yeah, NASCAR has no pushback, and that's been my biggest fear, with biggest gripe about this, uh, this hierarchy, this NASCAR people that are running the sport right now where 
Bill France Jr., you know, he wore the pants. He was the guy in charge. And right now, we don't know who's in charge of this sport. And I think certain people are, are in certain ways, do certain things. And the guy who's ultimately at the top, lies fault, that, that lies at his feet. But I just think we don't really know who's in charge. And he's not a an aggressive leader at all. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it's a major problem. I think we need somebody who take, goes in there and tells the owners and drivers, you know what, go race somewhere else. Drivers, you don't like what you're doing? Go make $10 million racing cars somewhere else. Owners, you don't like what you're doing? Go make $50 million a year racing somewhere else in, in America because you're not going to do it. We're in charge. We're the, we're the team here. And I, we'll listen to you for sure. But will you decide ultimately it's our decision? Uh, I think that's that's where they have to be. And, and, and they're pulling, you know, they have to please the drivers, the owners, and the fans. It's not an easy job, but they have to make the right decision here. They have to make these right decisions because if they, you know, continue down this road of technology, it's just going to continue to push fans away for sure. Lee, I want to well, one of the things when you, go, which uh, you just brought uh, up there, Clayton, that I think is a very important point, when Bill France Jr. wore the pants in NASCAR, back then, when he, whenever they first decided they were going to try to unionize because they were afraid of Talladega when they first built it, NASCAR had Richard Petty, NASCAR had David Pearson, NASCAR had Bobby Allison, and that's about it of people who were recognized everywhere. Now, 30 of the 40 drivers, everybody knows who they are. Everybody has, I mean, you see drivers' T-shirts everywhere. Back then, there was three, and Bill France said, I could put 40 more of you monkeys out there and fill the racetrack. Right now, there aren't 40 monkeys or 40 car owners who can afford to do this. You look at the way they continue to do this. The RTA and the Drivers' Council do have NASCAR on their heels. But part of it, NASCAR can't make up their own minds. They have yeah. the press conference with Steve O'Donnell and Scott Miller saying, if you're out of tolerance, the race win will be unencumbered. I mean, it will be you won't get credit for the race win. You'll get penalized points. Truex and Johnson fail inspection. Two days later, guess what? Now you have to be a P4 to lose anything. Yeah. Why bother? Just go to right. the end it's, of the P3 line, and that's where you're going to be because you're not going to lose anything, so you might as well already go out of tolerance and be illegal. What yeah, they really, they really dropped the ball here, John. In the last three or four months, they've looked horrific with, with just they just the things they've gone and said, and then a week or two later have completely changed. Um, and I don't know who's ultimately at fault for that, whether it's all of them, whether it's Bill Fran- Brian Francis should say, but this stuff never happened under Bill France Jr. It just didn't, you know, and, and there was no doubt. And Tony Stewart talks about this all the time. Brian, you never seen in the garage area. Um, there was no doubt when NASCAR was in, in charge, of, when Bill France Jr. was in charge of NASCAR, who was in charge it was Bill France Jr. There was no if, ands, or buts. He was the guy who ultimately went to him. You know, Mike Helton, for example, he was a guy we used to see all the time. Have you seen Mike Helton do any interviews or, or show his face in a public forum? And in, in, I haven't seen him in, in two years. You know, he used to be shown all the time, and it's just there's so many people at the top right now that have so many different decisions, and and a guy who I think are ultimately running the sport who, um, you know, has a, a completely different opinion than everybody else right now. Um, 917-889-8280 if you want to join the conversation like Lee in Virginia has. Lee, uh, before we really dive into a topic quick, I just want to get your opinion on a uh, regular season champion. Do you think it's important that we, that we – uh, 
crown a regular season champion, that we give him some kind of credit for winning the regular season, and do you think it matters at all? I'm not sure if it matters at all. Um, I would like to see him credited, but at the same time, I think the regular season champion is more of the guy who's running most consistently. I don't think, for example, I don't think you'd see you'd see anybody approach things any differently. Um, I think it's the guy who's running the most consistently of the bunch. Um, I, would would I like to see him rewarded? Yeah. Um, I think you know I, I'm not exactly certain what they could do. I always thought you know maybe add maybe give them two wins for for you know three uh, six bonus points for um, you know regular season or even just an extra win uh, in in the first round, um, something like that to, re- to reward them. But at the same time, uh, since everything is, is uh, basically um, in a reset after the first round, after the first three races, and listen, most of the time, I mean, you know who the you, – you, you, well, everybody pretty much had three out of the four drivers that were going to make it through here into this first round. So did the bonus points really make that much of a difference? Um, I know some rounds they have – some years they have and some years they haven't, but uh, – it's only the first round, and, and if you're not among the best 12, I would think the regular season is among the best 12 no matter what happens, regular season champions. So would bonus points really matter? Uh, unless it's something they mm-hmm. can use in the other two rounds or other three rounds, um, I'm not sure it would really matter anyway. I look at it whenever you look at uh, the major stick in ball sports when it comes to the regular season champion. The Boston Red Sox are going to hang a banner up in Fenway Park to say they're the 2016 American League American League East champions, and that banner will be up long enough until if they win the American League, then it'll say American League champions. Maybe give them a couple hundred thousand bucks or something, but it's no points you need to get. The only difference is if you're in the playoffs in a stick and ball sport, you get home field advantage. In NASCAR, you can't do that because you're a different place every week. So nobody has a home field advantage. I don't see the need to give them bonus points because if you are the regular season champ, most of the time you're going to have a winner too, and you're going to be reset the same with everybody else. Those three bonus points didn't help anybody get into the second round of the chase. Tony Stewart was the only – him and Chris Butcher had wins. And going in, they had three bonus points but they didn't run well enough in the first round to make the second round. But the mm-hmm. the regular season leader was Kevin Harvick. Kevin Harvick won a race. So why even bother? I don't even <laughs> know why they discuss it. Yeah, it's it's a, it's a it's it's weird, you know. I don't, I don't know. And the thing is and the guys the thing is it's about what 13 years too late. I mean, this would have made sense in the other chase, much more sense in the other two chase formats that we had. Before this one, this would have made a ton more sense in the other two chase formats, yeah. where the entire ten race chase, uh, there was no limit, where there was no eliminations and no resets. If you awarded them with bonus points, then it would have made a heck of a lot more difference than it does in this chase format. So this is about twelve or thirteen years too or too late anyway. Where they should have done this one from initially, um, and it, I, I agree with John. I don't think it's going to make that big of a difference, even if they do reward. Yeah, it's not. It's not really going to make a difference. I agree. That's why I was. The question was posed: Is it really going to matter? I don't think it's going to matter. You know, maybe if you if you give them a champion or a little banner or something stupid like that, whatever. But I don't think it's going to really matter. Okay. Um, now we talk about Tony Stewart here. Tony Stewart had some interesting comments here, guys, on NASCAR's reliance on engineering. He said that's basically one of the reasons why he's going to retire. 
Uh, he says, when we come off the truck on Friday, we fight the same thing for three days, and there's nothing I can do or the team can do to fix it. That's what's so frustrating for me as a driver. That is part of why I'm ready to do something different because I can't make a difference anymore. I can't do different things with my feet and different things with my hands to run a different line and fix the problem. I, I used to be able to do that. I can't do that anymore. You just get so frustrated you can't see straight. Uh, he also went on to say you can only beat the drum for so long and it can only fall on deaf ears for so long before you finally say the people that need to make it better can't make it better. Uh, I've I've had my fill of fighting the fight, and he draws other he says other things here. Uh, there's 39 of these guys that 99 99 times out of 100 won't say a thing about it about NASCAR or the media or anybody else. And I'm the, the one guy who usually opens my mouth about it. Man, this is a bad thing to talk about. And I shouldn't be talking about it, but I'll get pissed off enough to talk about it. Uh, and he, you know, listen. Basically, there's more to it. Bob Pockers, ESPN.com had it. Uh, if you want to read it more into it, but this is a this is a drum, John and Brandon, we've, uh, John and Lee, we've been beaten for uh, a long time here. Where you know we want to see different lines. I want to see different lines. And my my problem is, and, and this is something I've noticed in recent years, it just seems like everybody fights the same issue. Very rarely do we see a driver that's way loose, and then another the guy running, you know, guy running in thirds way loose, and a guy running in fourths way tight. Uh, and they're fighting completely different issues on a racetrack. That's very rare anymore. It's usually that everybody's got the same issue, and they're all fighting to get a little bit better on that issue. Um, you can't really move high. You can't really – and engineering has become such a big part of it, and that's that's tough. Uh, and I don't know if we can get that fully out of our sport or not, John, but uh, he's preaching to the choir here. I think the most interesting thing that Tony said out of that is he held up his cell phone. And they have a group text amongst the drivers, probably the driver's council. And he said, if I showed you what was on this, you would, everybody would be in shock. The comments that they have back and forth to each other, but he said 39 of the 40 guys will say it to me, will say it to each other, but nobody will say it to NASCAR and nobody will say it to the media. Tony is the one who will speak out, and he's tired of being the voice. If you look throughout the history of NASCAR, there has been that one driver who could get in the ear of the person running NASCAR and say something. Dale Earnhardt mm-hmm. wore that badge with honor. Absolutely. Richard Petty yep. wore that badge with honor. David Pearson, in between Petty, whenever he was coming down and uh, Earnhardt getting up, wore that badge with honor. Rusty Wallace at times could get the ear of Bill France. Daryl Waltrip, once in a blue moon, because he couldn't get a word in past Earnhardt, would say something. Tony Stewart's been the guy for the last almost 15 years since we lost Dale Earnhardt. Jeff Gordon was too corporate to be that guy. He didn't want to rupture any relationships with sponsors, didn't want to seem like the bad guy. Jeff Gordon always wanted to be the clean-cut happy-go-lucky guy that it seemed. Nobody would cause a stir like Tony Stewart. Jeff Burton was the mayor of the garage area, but he didn't do it like Tony Stewart did because he'd try the back door, and the back door shut in his face, and it's like, well, I tried. Tony Stewart, Mm -hmm. if he doesn't get into NASCAR, he'll go to the media and blow it up, and NASCAR will react, which we saw them do with the 
lug nuts. Lug nuts. But it still mm-hmm. isn't working. I mean, they took more downforce off, but as you saw, they found ways of creating air underneath the car to get the downforce back. I don't know why they're trying because the engineers are out there and they're trying to find ways to beat the system every time. They've run the low low downforce a couple times this year. Don't think that the engineers at Joe Gibbs Racing and Hendrick Motorsports and Stuart Haas Racing and Penske Racing haven't already figured this out and they're going to run the same kind of car that they ran this year. I think it's sad that one of the icons of this sport who has shown throughout the years that he is a racer and he feels that he can't race because the racer should be able to do it, like he said, with his hands and his feet, how well you control your brake pedal, how well you control your gas pedal, and how good you can turn the car is what makes this sport special. And now it's almost like, okay, we're going to put you in a kit car. You're just going to hold the metal, the um, gas pedal to the floor, brake every now and then, and hope it works because it isn't. And the three of us have said many times the racing has suffered because of it. If you look when Tony Stewart goes back and drives a sprint car next year, they have one adjustment in that car, and that's how, how low they run the wing or how high they run the wing. Everything else is searching for the line. When you throttle, I mean, um, take care of the throttle, how you brake, everything else, it's all about what you do with your hands and your feet. And that's what racing is all about. It's not even close to racing anymore. Yeah, listen, there was no doubt about who the voice was in the 2000 Daytona 500, which was one of the worst, most boring races that we've ever seen in the sports history. Dale Earnhardt came out and went and lambasted NASCAR, lambasted Bill France Jr., and said, you know, Bill, big Bill France seemed to be rolling over in his grave if they saw what they did to his racetrack today. If somebody did that in 2016, we wouldn't even see them the next weekend, you know, at Phoenix. We just would, they'd be suspended. And that's what needs to change. I think, you know, it doesn't need to get to the point where drivers should have to go to the, to the media and vent. It doesn't need to get to that point. But... Like Tony Stewart is saying, nobody's telling, nobody's taking anything, uh, taking anything seriously. And the only way to get it out is to vent to the media. And I think Kevin Harvick or Brad Keselowski need to step up and take, uh, you know, Tony Stewart's uh, place next year and be that guy. Yeah, I listen. Not only you know we have uh, 90 seconds before we lose our live audience here, and this is a great conversation. I want to keep it going for a little while. So if you want to listen to the rest of the show, go to our Facebook or Twitter page because. This is a topic that I think would get a lot of um, a, a lot of agreement. Let's well, probably win the Clayton, also here remind tonight, them so. if they want to find the archive of the show, they can go to speedwaymedia.com. There you go. We can. Yeah, we also uh, forget about that. On speedwaymedia.com, we have our archives pages there as well. You can listen to any show of Talking in Circles. That's speedwaymedia.com. Um, but this is a, a this is a topic that I think gets a lot of of you know play, and it's something that. You know, we blame the drivers right now for it, and Tony is, at least in my opinion, that you know they won't go to the media. But let's blame some of the media members who know better here, too, guys. Um, you know, we we talk about it a lot. We talk about it uh, at length. Where there's, you know, we're out there, and they're gonna watch what they say. And Brian France's mantra is, "You don't talk bad about the restaurant, people won't come in it, come come anymore." Uh, when you talk bad about the restaurant, and 
the restaurant theory. That's what it's quote unquote called. And so I think a lot of the media members are afraid to say what they really say. And there's a lot of smart people out there, you know, who who worked in the sport for years, who have done uh, broadcasting for years, who drove for years and years, who are simply just too afraid to to speak out because of what uh, the repercussions are going to be. And that is that's really bad because that is what the media is supposed to do. You know, we don't hear uh, people who cover the NFL, who cover Major League Baseball, side with Roger Goodell because they're afraid of what's going to happen to him, or side with Ron, Rob Manfred because they're afraid of what's going to happen to him. We don't see that at all. So why are media members in this sport, you know, giving NASCAR the benefit of the doubt a lot of things? Uh, and I think it hurts the sport because the way I look at it is if I go to a restaurant that I've been going to for for since 1970, John. Let's say I'm going to let's say I'm going to a restaurant since 1970, and the food has suffered because the original owner uh, passed away and he held it to his son, and the food is suffering. And I walk up to the to the new owner and I say, "Listen, the food's not very good. We didn't like what we see." The response to that question would get me back, or it would keep me away. And NASCAR's response to that question is, "Oh, we don't know what you're talking about. You're you're silly. You're ridiculous." Uh, the, the food's just as good as it's ever been. The real, the real response to that question should be, "Hey guys, listen. We got into an era where the car tomorrow was a really, really bad decision. It almost destroyed our sport. Bear with us. We love you guys. We understand the problem. We understand there's issues. Bear with us. We're going to work on it, but we can only work on it so quickly. And I think the fans would go, okay." As long as you realize there's a problem, as long as you realize there's an issue, as long as you realize the food's not good and you're working on fixing it, okay, we'll return. We'll come back and we'll give you guys the benefit of the doubt. But I think the restaurant theory and telling you that it's it, you're wrong, it makes you feel stupid and it makes you turn the TV off and not even care anymore. I think there's three things that are going into showing that this is not working at NASCAR. I was at New Hampshire Motor Speedway in 2011 when Tony Stewart won up there. You could not get a seat. I was at New Hampshire Motor Speedway two weeks ago. There was half the place empty. You look at Dover this weekend, and yes, Dover's has been struggling with attendance, but they gave let anybody. If you had an Xfinity ticket, you could go to the cup race. If you had the cup race, you can come early in the Xfinity race. And it was more than half empty. The TV ratings are way down, partially because it's on cable, but NASCAR's sitting back there cashing the billion-dollar check, and they don't care. When you look at the media people, there are some of them who will go out on a limb and say something, but they're not going far. If you look at the radio coverage, Motor Racing Network, folks, you know who signs their check? NASCAR. NASCAR owns Motor Racing Network through ISC. Now, when you say about, like in the, in the old days, whenever Bill France Jr. said, if you don't like it, go drive somewhere else. I'll find 40 other monkeys that will fill the seats. Bruton Smith is not the same guy. Bruton Smith will run whatever circuit he wants, and he has enough tracks and has enough money to build another track or two where he can create his own series and be fine with it. So there's your problems. 
nobody's willing to say anything because the radio folks, half of them, their stuff signed by NASCAR, and the other ones, if you look at the broadcasters, Daryl Waltrip wouldn't know if something was going wrong. Mikey's too busy trying to be funny. Mike Joy's just trying to be traffic cop. The only one in there who, out of the Fox group, who brings something to the table is Larry McReynolds. You look at the NBC, they showed uh, at New Hampshire after the traversing with failing inspection. They brought Steve Letarte and Jeff Burton to Victory Lane with the NAS- I mean, with the NBC car to show that, oh, it's not that bad if they're out of tolerance. Basically, they were paid lackeys to say, hey, NASCAR didn't screw anything up. It just is a minor thing, and it doesn't help anything. Well, then they screwed it's it up It's a minor first. thing. Why is it a rule? Right, exactly. Then they messed it up at first. You know, they, they've done so many things wrong here, and then they are – the thing is, they're so afraid to admit that, admit that they're wrong and that they're human and that they make mistakes. You know, I think a lot of people have, don't understand that, too, is maybe – the laser inspection isn't the way to go with inspection, but NASCAR has spent so much money on this laser inspection system that they have that you're never going to see them change it no matter what because they spent so much money on it, they don't want to get rid of it. And they can't get rid of it, and they're going to say, well, we just wasted our money. It's kind of like the same thing with this progressive banking, which they're trying to shove down your throats, which stinks at every racetrack they put it on, but they've created so much money and spent so much money in developing it, and they're saying, oh, well, it works, and it doesn't work. Phoenix is ruined because of that, because of the progressive banking. Yeah, listen, and, and we've been Lee, thanks so much for the call. We've been an advocate for that for years about progressive banking, but there's, there's so much to this, John. There really is, and it's frustrating as a fan because this is somebody who, coming from somebody who loves this sport, and you can just see it. You know, when you get into a race where nobody's really, you know, Mike Joyce said this a, a bunch of years ago on um, on Dave Despain's show, Wind Tunnel, a bunch of years ago. This is probably 10, 15 years ago now. And he said it, and he said it perfectly. Fans like watching cars pass other cars. And that's as simple as it is. It's as simple as that, and I, I can't agree more. And whether it's the gear rule, whether it's the rules are too tight, whatever, um, we're not seeing that as often as we used to, and I think that's where the product suffers. Um, you know, and if you, if you don't believe it, go back and watch a race from the 90s on YouTube. And just watch how much how the passing, especially in the mile and a half tracks, were up. And you go, man, that was really that was a really entertaining race. How come we're not entertained like that anymore? And you go, well, maybe they don't pass like that anymore. You know, the issues that they fight aren't issues anymore. So, and I think that's got a lot to do with it. And a lot to do with it's the teams that are so big now, engineering so big. You don't see blown engines. You don't see mechanical failures. You don't. I mean, none of that stuff really even exists anymore. And that's a sad part to it as well. Uh, one final word, John, on this topic before we have to go. Oh, I think we're all making sense. We, as fans of the sport, would like to see the sport return. The sport is not what it was. It's over-engineered. It's micromanaged beyond belief. And they don't even follow the rules that they set, because once the rules that they set are violated, they change the rules, so it doesn't impact the violator. Mm -hmm. It just is totally screwed up the way they're doing it. And NASCAR needs to sit back and evaluate things because the ratings are down. The attendance is way down. ISC is losing money when they're in their stock funds. Their stock is dropping. So what do they do? 
The only way they can make it better is fix the product. And they have to go with the owner. They have to work with with the RTA because they've pretty much come to the point now with NASCAR that you can't make a big change without the RTA approving it. Yes. And, and, And the thing is, like, here's my final word on it is, you talked about Michael Walter. You talked about trying to be funny and, and you know Kyle Petty and Dale Jarrett and all those guys, Steve Letarte and Jeff Burton. They all know better. They all I think they all see the problem. I just think they're too afraid to say it, and that's and that's where I get a little upset because I don't have the power that these people these guys have to put their foot down. And they've been in this sport their entire lives, and I'm sure they love it. I'm not saying they don't love it, and they're I think they're smart enough to realize it, but for whatever reason they don't say it, and I think that's where the problem. I think that's where. At stands, I get I get really frustrated because they have the power to sort of I guess quote unquote at least uh, make us make the fans uh, realize that something is that needs to be changed for sure. I want to thank. Hey, Clay, before we take great. off, I got one quick thing I want to say. Uh, great kudos on when it comes to the Tony Stewart thing. Uh, Dale Jr. His uh, fans donated eight thousand dollars to the Dale Jr. Foundation for a ride along with Dale Jr. at Charlotte tonight. Due to the concussion, Junior wasn't able to. He didn't know what to do. Took to Twitter, said, "Hey, I need help." Guess who stood up? Tony Stewart took the fans out, no charge, no nothing. Uh, able to help Dale, Dale Junior's foundation and take care of the fans. What a great job! Yeah, that's awesome. That's great to hear. Uh, another half dash has come up this week as well, which is great. And Charlotte's a great area. There's no doubt about it. And we love Charlotte. Uh, I wish the race, and you know, I hope the race is great because I love that racetrack. I love that area. It's a hometown. It, it's just. It's wonderful. I love that place, and that, that's why it bothers me when people say the All-Star Race should move, because I love Charlotte. Charlotte's ultimately, I think, where the, the majority of this fan base is. It's the hub. It's terrific, and it's great It's great to see the drivers step up and do stuff like this as well. I want to thank John Harlow. I want to thank Lee from Virginia for the call. Uh, you guys are great every week, and we'll be back here next week on Talking Circles. Good night, everybody.